Morning, church. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm a covenant partner. And this morning, God's word invites us to walk in a newness of life. The historic resurrection of Jesus changes everything, especially for those who have faith in Jesus. Holy Spirit empowered transformation is available through reframing reality with the resurrection. Are you ready to walk in a newness of life? You only need to believe. Uh, join me in reading to God's word this morning. I will be reading from John chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, 11 through 15, then 17 through 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Martha and her sister Mary. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So he went, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that, that Lazarus had, fall, had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. Please join me in the call and response. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Thank you, Mike. Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome you to First Presbyterian Church. I add my greetings to those that you've already heard. It's uh, good to be back in this room together. Uh, you may not be able to tell that the floors have been redid, but they've been redone. Uh, if you can't see it, you can definitely smell it. And my hope is that the fumes might lead to like astounding joy at the end. We just don't know why we're laughing. Uh, it's because of fumes. Just kidding. They're not toxic. We have a few people in here. It's like, is he serious? Do we need to leave? I'm not. Uh, we are going to be looking um, at John 11 today. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to open uh, your phone or uh, to grab one. We can hand one out if you need it. Um, next week, I'm excited we're going to begin a series in the book of Acts. Uh, and I'm really, really excited about it. But 
today we're going to uh, finish our kind of one-off sermons, um, and uh, we're going to talk about reframing reality with the resurrection. And if it's okay with you all, I'm going to do this in more of a seminar format. Is that okay with you all? That wasn't very convincing. Do I need to call an audible? Because I can. Is it okay if we do this in kind of a seminar format? Okay. All right. Yeah. Because it's still technically summer. Um, not for everybody, but technically it is. Uh, Paul, so everybody needs one of these. Does everybody have a card? Right? Okay. So you, if you want two of them, we have extras, one for notes. We're going to walk through these. And we're even going to use some new technology today. And I know I'm going to be made fun of it for trying it later. Um, but that's okay. We'll take it. I think it's worth it. So Paul says this in Romans chapter 6, verse 4 to 5, that when we are united with Christ by faith, that when we believe, his spirit inside us enables us to walk in a newness of life, that the resurrection of Jesus gives us a new substance something solid to stand on so that we can walk in a newness of life. In all through the New Testament, Paul talks about, the New Testament authors talk about, Jesus talks about the difference that the resurrection makes. You can look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 13, that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit that lives inside of people. You can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse uh, 58, and you can see that it, the resurrection of Jesus actually gives you purpose in your daily life and labor. Everything we do is not in vain. You can read in, in the same chapter, 15 to 1 Corinthians verse uh, 23, that the resurrection of Jesus gives us not just strength and substance for today, but it gives us hope for tomorrow. That Jesus rising is the first fruits from the grave. And even in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, we see that the resurrection of Jesus gives us believers in him as our Savior, the Son of God. It gives us justification, a right standing before God. And we, we, we unpack these a little bit in our Sunday school class, but I say it by way of introduction today because I want you to feel the weight of the opportunity that's in front of you that the resurrection of Jesus, the physical resurrection, changes reality. Now, here's what I know. If we're going to talk about how the resurrection of Jesus reframes how we see the world, that it actually alters the way that we walk, it's going to be tougher for older folks than it is younger folks. They're is actually uh, a hindrance that we have to have mental loops, treadmills almost in our mind that are unhealthy and definitely unhelpful. That we can get stuck in cycles that continue to feed negative thoughts, negative moments, and we get trapped. It, it's for this reason that when Paul is talking in Romans about the, the power of God's work, he says, in view of God's mercy, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That we actually have mental loops that hurt our relationship with ourselves. They hurt relationships we have with family members. 
They hurt the way we do our work, what we do in our work, the way we live our life, because we're constantly allowing ourselves to marinate on lies or altered perspectives of life because of pain points instead of marinating on God's mercy. And the older you are, the longer you've had to get stuck in those cycles and loops, the harder it is to change. So I'm going to invite up here somebody that that I hope plays a prophetical role in helping us all see that we can see things differently. So my friend Thomas, where's Thomas? Come on up here, buddy. Thomas is going to help us. Thomas, make sure that mic is working. All right. The mic is working. Are you nervous? A little, yes. A little bit, yeah. (laughs) Did you have fun at camp this summer, Thomas? Yes, sir. Yeah, okay, all right. That's what I'm talking about. Um, Let me ask you this, Thomas. Do you think that it's easier or harder for old people to change the way they see things? I have no clue. You have no clue. (laughs) Just because you're younger? Yeah. Okay. So thank you for your honest answer. Just let me tell you, as an old dude, like it's a lot harder for people that are older, but I need you to help everyone see that they can look at things differently. Okay. Will you help me? Yeah. All right. So I'm going to show you a picture. And as soon as you see the picture, I want you to tell me what you see, okay? Okay. All right, so go ahead with the first picture. What do you see? A duck. A duck. All right, raise your hand if you see a duck. All right, now raise your hand if you see a rabbit. Do you see a rabbit? Now that I look at it again, I can see a rabbit. Now that I look at it again, okay, all right. How many of us needed to look at that a second time to see both a duck and the rabbit? All right, if your hand's not up, you're lying. Thank you, Callan, for getting it up. Yes, all right, two hands. All right, are you ready? No, I want you to do this quickly. All right, next picture, what do you see? Two people on an island. Two people on an island. Raise your hand if you see two people on an island. All right, now raise your hand if you see a baby. All right, now look, Thomas. Yeah, do you see the way I see the, it. Yeah, I you see, see the baby? Okay. Did you see that the first time? No. Okay, no. no. So maybe, we, I got one more picture. You think Thomas is ready for one more picture? Okay, I need you to be quick on this one, all right? Okay. Tell me what you see now. Um, Callum. No, that's not Jesus. What do you see? Callum. Callum, that's right. It is, it is Callum. All right, get that thing off of here, all right? Oh, man. I, I had to do it. I really did. Right? I, I, that I, was I, pretty funny. That was, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, well, we're going to go ahead and pray. And uh, I want to thank you for helping us. Can we thank Thomas for helping us? Go ahead and sit down. Thanks. So let's pray and ask that God will help us as we unpack his word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth that sets us free. And that you give us the power to take every thought captive. I ask you, Jesus, now that you would help us, help us to reframe how we see the world because of the finished work that you have accomplished, your death and your resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. All right, I'm going to try something new here. I'm going to set this up. Um, I'm going to actually use an iPad. Can we see that up there? Um, I hope it works. I have to accept the device and everything. Uh, can y'all see it behind me? All right. Can, is there any way to get it up there as well? So here's the deal. 
seeing things differently, it's a lot like having a different perspective, right? So we need to have a new pair of glasses. On. And what happens is that when we put our faith in Christ, God gives us new glasses. The gospel changes how we see the world, moving beyond our experiences further than our feelings in allowing ourselves to see through the truth of the word of God and the finished work of God. And the way that we're going to really try to change the way we see things is by acknowledging the things we already see. Now, here's what I need you to just realize is coming. We're going to ask you to name, not we, I'm going to ask you to name one thing in your mind that's, that's a thought, uh, that it's a way you see things that, that you would like changed. And we're going to identify that one thing, because when we're changing how we see things, a mental reframing, we need to know who we're and what we're debating. Right, Tyler? Exactly. Because if we don't know the thing we're trying to change, we're not going to be able to change it. And we're going to identify four things that actually support that one way that we see things. It's not necessarily God's way. And then we're going to replace that one thing with a reality that Jesus gives us through the resurrection. And then we're going to re-support the pillars and give four different things. And we're going to do that through studying John 11, because this is exactly how Jesus handles Mary and Martha and everyone who were there that day. Now, before we unpack this, we need to acknowledge that Jesus was very close to Mary and Martha. Look down at verse 3. Uh, they sent him messengers um, because they describe him, the one who you love is ill. And then in verse 5, uh, it says that Jesus loved Mary and Martha. His love for them was, was real. It was tangible. It was even known. And so it's, it's not a surprise when after Lazarus is dead and Jesus finally shows up, look at verse 21. It says Martha was so bold. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And so Mary and Martha have a very clear thing that they see in reality, that Lazarus is dead. He's died. And we need to appreciate something. All right? We have to appreciate Mary and Martha's situation. Death is never easy. It is unnatural. It's an invader into God's good creation. And unfortunately, it's part of the fabric of our fallen world. Death is difficult. And Jesus knows it. You see how he weeps in this passage in verse 35. He weeps with Mary and Martha. He weeps because he knows. But the truth is that all of us are guaranteed that we're going to die at some point. How we die adds a whole layer, a whole element on the difficulty of this. The level of grief that we have. And I will say this again. 
but grief is godly. And that our tears that we shed for people we've lost are actually a tribute to the love that we have for them. And that's why it's important that Jesus weeps with us. But listen, when you lose somebody in a time which isn't natural or in a way that's very difficult, then your grief is exponential. When my sister passed away at 33, or one of my groomsmen and best friends, Josh, passed away at 38, that, those grief, those tears, that processing was very different than losing my grandparents or my father or my stepfather. Those were very difficult as well. But how we lose someone, it changes the ways that we grieve and the sadness that we have. We need to note that because, uh, look, Martha and Mary have lost a sibling. They've lost a brother, Lazarus. This situation is tough, and it's getting tougher, okay? But Jesus is here. We identify Martha comes. If you had been here, Jesus, my brother would not have died. It is how she sees things, and she rightfully sees things. But her situation is tough getting tougher because she had actually sent messengers to Jesus to come help. That's what it says in verse 3, that the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. Look at verse 5 and 6. Jesus loved Mary and Martha, verse 6. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Because he loved them, he stayed longer. Have you ever been there? Have you been there at a time where you know Jesus can change your circumstances? In asking him to do so again and again, he just doesn't do it? How many marriages have been praying for healing and help? How many addicts in here? How many addicts have been praying for freedom? How many single folks have been praying for a spouse? How many parents have been praying for wayward children? Again and again, some husbands and wives are praying to have any children. How many families are praying for sick loved ones? How many of us are experiencing loss knowing that Jesus could have done something? But he seems to close his ears. It seems that he does that even appear to hear sometimes, right? He doesn't much less care. And he definitely, he doesn't come. This passage gives us a very unique opportunity to sit in that space. The tension that Jesus allows for us to not understand that there's something about the process that God values. It's in that process. We are not going to sit in it today because we're going to get to reframing reality in our minds. But it's in that process that Jesus' character is shown. Because he does come. He does weep. He does love. 
It's in that process that the power of God is revealed. Because Lazarus does rise from the grave. It's in the process where the promises of God are shown to be true. It's in the process where the purposes of God are are highlighted. That God is working all things for his purposes. The good of those who trust him in his glory. It's in that process where that's revealed. But you know what else is revealed in that process? Our need. Because we can identify with God. Martha, Jesus, if you had only been here, if you only heard me, this would not be the case. And how does Jesus handle her? Jesus doesn't push her away. Jesus doesn't say, you're just too weak. You're too slow. You're too stupid. I'm going to go find other people that I'm going to care about. No. He takes time to reframe how she's seeing the world. Now, engage with me. Mary sees Lazarus is dead. Four pillars, four parts of the room from this section over here. What is one data point that shows that Lazarus is dead? Just say it out loud, please. No pulse. Okay, the heart has stopped. So this is just what we're going to write here. So the heart stopped. What from this section right here? What's another data point? Not breathing. No breath. How about this section? Smells. Smells. Yeah, that, that's actually true. If you, if you look in verse 39, when he, he says uh, the... Martha, the sister, what did I say? 39, right? Yeah, Lord, by this time, there will be a bad odor, for he's been bed, dead four days. It reminds me of um, a teacher I had. Uh, I went to an all-guys high school, and so there were a lot of bad odors. And this, this teacher we had named Bud Strang, he talked like this, and whenever there was a bad odor, he'd go, oh, bad odor, bad odor. <laughs> He would, it was, there was a bad odor. All right, four pillars from this side over here. Why else do we know Lazarus is dead? No communication. So we're just going to say lifeless. He's lifeless. Now, these are accurate. Lazarus is actually dead, and Jesus says it here. He says in verse 11, Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him. The disciples say to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he's going to recover. But Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought he meant he was taking rest in sleep. So it's not that this isn't reality. It's just that Jesus is not going to allow this fallen part of our world to be the end of the story. It's how we see a duck and also see a rabbit. It's how we see people on an island, but also see new life of birth. It's this new way of reframing reality that, yes, this is true, but it's not the end of the story. And Jesus actually identifies that thought, dead. He acknowledges the four pillars that support that thought that you acknowledge, but then he replaces it all. And Jesus replaces it but she's not just dead, and I'm going to have to erase a little bit here. Uh, oh, no. 
that is dead, but... He's what? He's asleep. Now you can read 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15 and other passages and see that it's not abnormal for the New Testament to talk about death as sleep. But there's a different reality that Jesus enters in to the brokenness of the world, that, that space between like, if you had been here, this seems to be true. And he offers something that reframes it. Now, there are four different ways, at least four different ways, that Jesus changes the way that, she, that Martha sees. We're going to just go here to a bigger page. All right? So the first way, if you look at Verses 33 to 37, she says, if you had only been here, Jesus wouldn't have died. Well, where, where is Jesus now? He's with her. And what we see in her being with him, that he actually feels empathetic. He's moved by their weeping. Jesus weeps with them. His presence in our suffering is something that reframes reality. But that's not all that he gives. He also gives a promise, right? And in that promise, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you're going to live forever, even though you die. And this, this promise, I know it's horrible writing. I know you're laughing, but I'm kind of nervous doing this because ask anyone in my family, I have a hard time working a remote control. Okay, and so I'm up here, and now it's super bad. Uh, so I'm here about it later. We'll redo my six there. Okay, so oh, how else does he do it? He does it with power. Where does Jesus display power in this narrative? We didn't actually read it, so I'm going to just hit it real quick. Look at verse 44, 43, uh, 42. Um, when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. The power of Jesus is revealed in his word, in the spirit, just like Ezekiel 37. But one more thing Jesus gives us, is he gives us purpose. How do, where do we see purpose? You look at verse 4 and verse 40. Jesus says it from the beginning. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, you see how Jesus does this? He identifies, or he identifies with Mary's main idea, her main focus. He's dead, and he replaces that idea with the reality that she's He's sleeping. And then he offers four new pillars that can replace. Now, here's the deal. You, when we uh, are trying to reframe how we see the world, then we've got to be able to identify the thing that we want to change in our mind. All of us, including Mary and Martha, including the disciples who followed Jesus, need to allow our minds to marinate on the truth of the gospel so that we're renewed and can have life be reframed. 
Now, just to show you that this isn't something Mitchell's doing in this text and trying to show us it's, it's unique, this is normal for Scripture. David, all through the Psalms, the history that he's in, he's frustrated, he's in the wilderness, he's alone, he's scared, and he checks the way he sees the world. And that moves to faith and a fullness of life. Habakkuk, in the Old Testament, the prophet, he was all kinds of trials, all kinds of trouble. He turned that worry and difficulty to work into worship. He found treasure in it. You can read Habakkuk. It's three short chapters. You'll find it. New Testament, it's all through there. The apostle Paul somehow moved to a place where Philippians 1.21, he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Uh, Mary and Joseph, the parents of Jesus, they had an unplanned pregnancy. How did their reality get reframed? How do they look at things differently? It was the word of God through the messenger. So this is a normal thing, all right? But see, Christians are not immune from being cursed by perspectives that are destructive. You can come on up, Callan. We're just not. We, we suffer from cycles and mindsets that hurt ourselves and how we see the world. A Gallup poll came out last week, and globally, more people in the world are anxious and sad than ever before since they started keeping the data. It's really remarkable. You can look it up online. And Christians, we're just not immune. So we've got to be able to engage in this mental debate, to know what we're debating. What is that mental mindset that you have to change? How do you use language that actually feels at home for you? Mitchell alliterates, I use all Ps, because that's something that resonates with me. But I don't know what resonates with you. I don't know the language that you need to, to, to defeat the debate that's from the devil in your head, the pillars of your truth that you've got to replace from God's word and his work and the resurrection. You've got to know it. And so here's what I want to do right now. I want to encourage you to uh, do this on your own. We're going to have some music playing for a minute. All right? And you have a card. And I want you to take a moment to pray in just a second. Now, I want to tell you, I've done this multiple times. I've been using this tool a lot lately. Uh, uh, I was coming back on a plane um, Friday. And I was like, I'm going to practice this again. I was like, oh, Spirit, would you please just illuminate a false truth in my mind, in my heart. What am I believing? And one word came, and that word was unsettled. Been there? Unsettled. What are these pillars? Well, I've been traveling a lot lately. I was coming back from Charlotte. Uh, I haven't been home a lot. Unsettled, right? So travel. What else is supporting that? Well, I had uh, coming back with a, a relational conversation that didn't get the closure it needed. Have you, ever, have you ever had a conversation that maybe you were misunderstood or you misunderstood something and you just didn't get to close it how you needed to? So just relationship there. Um, uh, heading into a new school year, lots of questions that need to be answered with kids and schedules. And so uh, just life in general with family, with kids. And then... Uh, also, lots of questions. It's a whole other conversation. So what did Mitchell do? I want you to do this. 
Holy Spirit, help me to see the truth. Help me to see the truth. And just prayerfully on a plane with random strangers behind me, the Lord just gave me this word. Secure. You are secure. You haven't traveled anywhere outside of my plan or outside of my timing. You are secure. The questions that you have ahead are all known and answered by me. You are secure. The relationship that you don't have closure with and you need to have that conversation, I'm in the business of making strength out of stuff like that. My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And I began to worship on this plane with a deep heart of gratitude. And I've practiced this more and more. Recently, that's just one example. So here's what I want you to do on your card, all right? Everybody should have a pen. If you don't have a pen, I want you to take a moment. Holy Spirit, what is something that I'm believing that's a lie? What is an untruth that I need reframed by your truth? I want you to write it down. Name that thing you are debating. Just start writing out, why do you believe that? Why are you believing it? And it's okay to name these things. It's okay to look inside, into your heart, to be honest with your losses, your fears, your injustices, your pain points, your questions. It's okay to acknowledge the inadequacy of your self-sufficiency, that you can't handle it on your own. Write them down. And as we do this exercise, this is a little quicker than we would normally do it. But we say, Lord, Would you please help me to see a resurrection truth? It could be that in your loneliness you hear, I am always with you. In your lack of ability to forgive, you hear, in Christ you are forgiven. It could be that in your struggle and your slavery to sin, you hear, you're my son. There's no condemnation. It could be that in your incessant need to control everything, your anxiety, your grip is too tight that you hear God say, I got this. It could be that in your anger, you believe that anger helps. It could be that Jesus invites you to let it go. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Your anxiety, he wants to give you peace. You see, when we can take gospel ownership of things like this and begin to replace truths to support the truth in our life, where you can realize, Lord, I'm not defined by my anxiety. Here's a truth. Jesus says, cast your cares upon me because I love you. Here's a truth. Jesus says, I am sovereign. I got this. You don't need to be anxious. Here's a truth. 
the headlines of this world. You don't need to be anxious because there's headlines in heaven that are greater. Jesus has already won. Here's a truth for you who are battling that lie of anxiety that it's actually helpful, that worrying is something that's going to be profitable. Here's a truth for you. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Today, tomorrow has enough fears of its own. Don't worry today. I clothe the the, uh, lilies of the field. I feed the birds in the air. He's going to provide. Whether it's anxiety or anything else, allow your heart to experience the goodness of God. If you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, then the greatest asset you have is your own self-sufficiency. And that might work well for a season, but like a skipping stone, eventually it'll sink. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is historic. It happened and it has direct implications for all of your life and all of your labor. Lazarus was not dead. He was sleeping. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray together. Lord, we believe. Will you help us with our unbelief? We know that in life, birth pains precede uh, new life. We know that crisis precedes renewal. Would you help us to trust your sovereignty in our struggles, that we would find the comfort, the hope, the substance, the purpose, and the strength that you offer through the reality of your resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.